Welcome to the Women's Leadership Network podcast series. This series was created as a means to encourage, inspire, and empower women who want to make their lives better. So the one thing I want people to take away from this podcast is to ask, to try, because really there's nothing to be lost if you do it right by trying. We look for current issues and challenges facing women in the legal world and offer ways of tackling these issues as well as provide a community of support and engagement. I'm Jeannie Forrest for the Women's Leadership Network. My guest today is Deb Ellis, 1982 graduate of NYU Law and Director of Operations for New Jersey Law and Education Empowerment Project. I am so pleased to welcome Deb to the conversation to talk about salary negotiation a conversation we're all nervous and find very near and dear to our hearts. We have a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to jump right in. So let's start with this very important question. How did you get interested in this topic in the first place? Well, I um, was fortunate in my career to do women's rights work, and I was very fortunate to be able to teach as an adjunct at NYU Law School for about 20 years a seminar on sex discrimination law. And the last time I did that was in the spring of 2013. And right before that, in December of 2012, I saw an article in the New York Times about a Carnegie Mellon economist named Linda Babcock, who had done some studies saying that Part of the reason why women's salary was not equal to men is that women weren't negotiating as much as men were. She found that 57% of men would negotiate their first salary and 7% of women. And so, and she thought that if women started negotiating more, they would get more salary, even if it's a little bit, say it's $7,000 in your first job over the, your lifetime, that might up to, add up to $100,000 that amount. Wait, are you saying we just don't even ask? Yes. And so I thought when I taught the pay equity class in that seminar in 2013, I thought, I'm not going to tell my students about pay inequity. I'm going to teach them how to cure it for themselves. And because I'd also taught lawyering at NYU, I designed a little a two-hour workshop role play where I had them play employers and employees to get practice negotiating. The very thought of asking for money I mean, I've been in fundraising for a long time, and it makes people sweat. So talk to me more about the wage gap between men and women. So, and I was going to say, going back to your point about being a fundraiser, I think you know that to be a fundraiser, you have to ask, right? Mm -hmm. So the one thing I want people to take away from this podcast is to ask, to try. Because really, there's nothing to be lost if you do it right by trying. So back to the wage gap then. The wage gap is really persistent. I'm 35 years out of law school. It's my 35th reunion in two weeks, and it has hardly budged since I graduated. It was 77 cents to the dollar women made to men when I graduated, and now it's up to 80 cents. At that rate, women won't be equal to men for 152 years. It makes me just want to oh, cry. And it's even worse for women of color. So um, w for African-American women, they earn um, 60. Uh, three cents to every dollar that a white male man would make. And for Latinas, they make 54 cents to every dollar. So we don't know all the causes of the pay inequity. There's some people hypothesize it's because women want more flexibility and take time off. But studies have shown that women earn 11% less than men, even if they never took time off. 
Part of it is probably institutional sexism. But I'm a really practical person, and I say, well, we don't know the cause, but let's try to do some solution, which is for women to really start negotiating their salaries. I happen to know, and you and I have been colleagues, we work like dray horses. The truth of it is, I, I guess I just have this giant question, are we just chicken livers? Why don't we negotiate? So I think the number one women reason that women don't negotiate is a fear that they will lose the job offer. And so what I want to do in our conversation today is talk to women about how that fear is not realistic and how they can do it in a way that will not make it likely that they lose the job offer. And the other thing I think is something called stereotype threat that we all have expectations that drive our behavior. And if we expect to do poorly, we will. And women in our society are not expected to negotiate as much. Now, we who are listening to this podcast are lawyers. So we're better at negotiating, hopefully. So, and the thing about the stereotypes, though, is it's partly true. Studies have shown that both men and women evaluators perceive women who negotiate for themselves as violating gender norms. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason we're reluctant to do it. But I do think that that should not stop us. And that's why I want to encourage women to do it. And we also have to remember that negotiation for jobs, like many negotiations in life, is interdependent. Both parties want this to work. So it's much easier than some other negotiations if you approach it that way. It's interesting because male colleagues in the law firm world tell me that they want more women in the legal profession. And so they actually invite women to negotiate. So talk to me more about how you can maximize success as a woman in this area. Well, one thing that studies have shown is that women outperform men in representational negotiation, i.e. when they're negotiating for someone else, as us lawyers do. So we're better when we're advocates. So one tip I tell to people I talk to about this, most of whom are not lawyers actually, is think of yourself as negotiating for someone other than yourself, for your family, for your children, for your partner, even for your pets. Um, If you can just put yourself in that mind frame, it might make you more, it's kind of the stereotype that we're the caretakers, right? But it might make you feel more convinced that you can do it. And the other thing is, as a woman, because of those gender norms, we do need to avoid being adversarial or confrontational, something that I think works best for everyone anyway. But the University of Michigan former president, Mary Sue Coleman, says that women need to be relentlessly pleasant. Um, And I think that's a good thing to remember, to smile, to use we instead of I. And if women go into the negotiation thinking about that and remembering this is something where the employer wants me, it will be interdependent and hopefully it will work. I get so endlessly aggravated by that notion that the demand on us is that we also have to appear to be nice. It's this extra layer on us that we, as women, we not only have to be um, incredibly competent, but we also have to appear to be nice. And we we have to be nice. So are there any tips Um, that women should know so they are not seen as adversarial or the horrible bitch word? So I agree with you. It's irksome that we have to do that. It's irksome in many levels professionally, I think. But I do think some tips to deal with the stereotype that exists are important, especially when the goal is to get more salary, right? Or and or better working conditions. So I think one tip is 
you could preface it by saying someone else encouraged you to do this. I've used that sometimes in negotiations, saying someone else suggested I do this. A senior colleague suggested this. Also remember that you're going to change the frame from who wins to a problem solving, that I believe that I will be able to take this job if I have the salary I need. And another idea is, if possible, to use humor. That doesn't always work, but I'll tell a quick story about myself. I have had a long career as a social justice advocate, so I never earned what lawyers use earn in corporate law firms. And once I was negotiating a job, when I was about 20 years out of law school, and I said I'd always been my dream to earn the entry-level salary of a, an associate in a corporate law firm. And the, the, yes, the boss laughed and gave me it immediately because it was just kind of a funny analogy. It wasn't objective criteria for the job I was doing, but it was funny. So if you can think of something like that, it's helpful. I definitely have used a couple of those tactics. I've used, I've, I've used the advice of a senior colleague and said, she said to me, you know, hey, your colleagues in other areas of your field are making X. Why aren't you? And that's been helpful. I've also negotiated on the behalf of my team and said, you know, hey, these resources should be available to me. And that negotiating on behalf of my team has helped. That was definitely um, a big help uh, because I guess like negotiating for your family or your pets, it, it kind of took the heat off of me. It made me sweat a little bit less. So, okay, I'm convinced. And I suppose our listeners are probably convinced that they should at least negotiate. What steps should they follow? So there's four steps I suggest that people think about. Now, the audience are lawyers and law students. So this audience knows how to negotiate. So it might be a little bit easier than other people I talk to about this issue. But here's the four steps. One is to strategize. So the four steps are strategize, research, identify interest, and negotiate. So strategize on two things. What is your bottom line? And also, what is the total package you want? It might be more than salary. And secondly is to research, to establish objective criteria for what you're asking for, the comparables in your field. What is the salary for other people get doing the same job? The third identify interest is to put yourself in the employer's shoes and think about it from their perspective and to really think about how what you're asking might be manageable or not from the employer. That's always good negotiating, to always think about what the other side's responses would be. It makes you anticipate them and then figure out answers for that. And fourth is to actually negotiate. And I always say focus on areas of agreement. Years ago, when the first big negotiation I did as a young attorney, I read the book Getting to Yes. And that's a really short, great book if anyone wants to just learn more about negotiation. And that really emphasizes the win-win strategy. I remember reading that um, myself and thought it was really powerful. So let's go back to step one. Talk to me more about the strategizing step. So in the strategizing step, I think there's actually two parts of that. One is salary and benefits. So you want to figure out what your target salary is, what you really want. You want to figure out what's the lowest salary you would take. And you want to figure out what you're going to ask for. And you're going to do that by research. So I guess I'll just talk about the research too then. I'll put that in there, which is that you to the extent you can, try to find out the comparables in your field. So in law, there's sometimes scales, at least for entry-level jobs, but that often goes out of the water pretty fast. 
So you can look online, you can talk to colleagues, talk to male colleagues, try to get objective information. In buying a car, it helps to have objective information. It always helps to have that. So in formulating your target number, your bottom line, and what you're going to ask for, thinking about the objective standard is helpful. Then the other thing is to think about benefits going with a salary. Like, you know, would you want to ask for more vacation if you don't get the salary you want? And for yourself, thinking about the packages, sick days, retirement, all those kinds of things are important. So that's one, the first part is salary and benefits. But the other, I think, is really important to think about more broadly what we want when we negotiate. You never have more power than when you're being offered a job or being promoted. And like you said, you negotiated for your team. So you want to negotiate sometimes, especially as you go on in your career, for the things that will enable you to have the resources to be successful in the job. Sometimes you want to negotiate for more responsibility. Well, how nice is that for the employer if you're asking for more responsibility? I've talked to women in the financial field, and they are very concerned about making sure they negotiate their scope of responsibility, the volume in numbers of the kinds of clients they'll be serving. So those are the kinds of things I want people to think about very broadly. Flexibility. Do you want to work from home? Do you want to work part-time? All those kinds of things. If you have that whole package in mind, and sometimes you can trade off too. But one thing I say to the people is if you do want more than one thing, say to the employer as you start the negotiation, I want to talk to you about my salary and I want to talk to you about working four days a week. Don't just spring one on them after you finish one. I had a student tell me that she had family in London and it was really important. I said, make sure that you include that in the conversations with her employer at the very get-go. Make sure that you include conversations about when you have projects in London. I really want to be involved in those. I want to be involved in those deals. And so would that be part of the strategies? I think that's totally right. I think you should think about everything you might want. And that's a really good way to play them off each other. You can then leverage it. Mm-hmm. So should you ask for more than what you want as part of this game? So that's the traditional way to negotiate. Most times you ask for more than you want, so you have room for negotiation, whether it's buying a house or buying a car. So I think it's good to ask for more than you want, but not too much more. People say don't ask for more than 20% more. I think I would usually be reluctant to even ask for that much. I think a lot depends on the circumstances. But I do want to tell our listeners about the anchor concept. Once a number is said, that number is going to be anchored in people's minds. So it's best if you can have the employer say the number first and then respond to that. Don't put out your number. Maybe your number is a lot lower than they were going to offer you. And also, I think sometimes it's helpful to use a range. But no matter what numbers you use, once you have a number out there, they know you're willing to accept it. So just be careful. And that's why the strategy part is important to think about those numbers in advance. There's something also that um, is kind of a between the lines in this strategy. And that is just the tone, the calmness about this. It seems like the between the lines in all of this is if you're prepared in the way that you're describing, it makes it so much easier to be calm. If you've strategized in advance and done the research and you've 
really objectively looked at this information. It means that you can go into this, as, as you said, be relentlessly pleasant. It means that you can go in and not be freakishly emotional. It doesn't mean that you will be upset or obviously tense. It just means that you'll be in there very matter-of-factly saying, this is what I want, and this is what the outcome I hope we can achieve together. And it means that you'll be able to be more lawyerly in a lot of ways. Exactly. It's really the way a lawyer would pre prepare for any negotiation. Mm -hmm. And so moving on to that interest part, just to expand a little bit on what you were saying, using those principles of getting to yes and what many of our listeners learned in law school about negotiation, you, to, you again, you approach it as problem solving. You want to give the interests and reasons a lot of times before the proposal. So in my job that I have now, actually, I wanted to negotiate my office because they had an office in another building that they wanted me and the development director to work in. And I, uh, I did not want to work there, but I also didn't think it was efficient. And since my job is director of operations, I wanted to do what was efficient. So I talked with my boss when I was negotiating with him about why there was a separate office and learned it was really an outgrowth of the company, of the nonprofit growing and never putting everyone in one place and talked about how that was inefficient. And then that almost naturally led to him saying, well, let's put everyone in the same place. So often saying the interests and the reasons before you say what you want can lead to that calm negotiation you're talking about. I think also sometimes it's helpful as a tactic to use questions instead of demands. You do never want to come and say, this is, you're, you're demanding something. And again, always frame in terms of the employer's goals, if you can, like I did with that office illustration. It was much better efficiency for all of us to be in the same office. Um, so... Those are some of the ways to like plan for that negotiation. Think about beforehand, you know, prepare for it. It's like it's an important negotiation for your life. Right. I guess we should say the getting to yes, that's Roger Fisher. Mm -hmm. The yes. probably the key principle of that is to find the shared interest rather than attach yourself to a position. Because exactly. if you can find that shared interest, it makes negotiating incredibly powerful. That's true. And here, the shared interest, as I said in the beginning, is interdependent. Both people want you to be doing this job. So it's a little easier than sometimes attorneys negotiating on behalf of clients. There are much, there may be much more antagonistic goals. And here, the employer wants you. That's why it's the best time. And you want the job. And so going to the last part about negotiating, like actually doing it, I always say to people, be sure to express enthusiasm. Don't just go in there and say, I want a higher salary than what you offer. Say, I am so enthusiastic and excited about the prospect of working in this firm, and I want to talk to you a little bit about the um, package. Um, so like express, and don't say, and if I don't get what I want, I'm not going to take it. That's implied, I think, without you saying it. Also, I like to tell people, always negotiate after you have the offer. 
don't make the mistake of negotiating before you have the offer. In fact, if an employer ever asks me what my salary request is, I try to hedge it. I try to say, well, I'd be glad to be paid whatever you are going to, what you think is a fair salary. And I'm sure if you decide I'm the right person for the job, then we can work out a mutually acceptable salary. I don't want to get into that negotiation until they've decided I'm the right person for it. That's a really, you answered one of my questions, is we often get questions about that, like the timing of introducing questions about salary into the conversation. Exactly. I would not introduce it. I would really even deflect it Mm -hmm. before the offer is made. And then when the offer is made, they've decided that they want you, and so you have the greatest power. I also say don't wait till later, because once you're there, you're there. So, And then the next time it would come up as if you're asking for promotion or in the promotion process. But it's really much better to do it um, when you're offered the job and not after you've accepted the job. Mm-hmm. The power is the greatest when the employer wants you. Timing. So that's one thing is the timing. That's the number one thing, I think. That's kind of the gets to your point that you made at the very beginning about the fear of losing the job altogether. To use a fishing analogy, you set the hook a little bit. Exactly, exactly. And then some of the other things is if the negotiation is not going quite the way you want. For example, the employer doesn't come up to your number. You could ask for more time. I like to tell people that. You could say, well, I need to think this over. It's kind of the the bargaining thing. Walk away for a little bit. Um, and even if you don't make it, like, just say I need some more time. You don't have to be abrupt about it. You could suggest a trial period. That might not work for salary, but it might work for, example, working from home one day a week. You could say, well, if you're not sure this would work, could we try it for six months and see if it would work? So that's a tactic I like to inform people about. The other thing I think is sometimes you could give up on an issue. For example, maybe you're negotiating about your title, but you don't really care. So it might even have been good to put something like that into the package, and then it can be leveraged and you can give up on it so that you can use that you know, but maybe then I also know as a boss that titles are cheap. So maybe the employer doesn't care either, but it's That's something to think about. about. Just to your point about asking for asking a little bit more than what you want. Exactly. Exactly. And I think in conclusion, just remember that this will be a continuing relationship. So both people want it to succeed. I hired a young woman last year who is just out of college and she asked for more than we gave her. And both my boss and I were so proud of her. She, she now knows that, that of course, I said, I said, Matt, we have to give her more just because she, she negotiated. So we don't assume that it's adversarial. I think that's the, the bottom line there. Don't assume it's adversarial and, and try. I always say to the young women who um, I've interviewed, I, when they ask for more money, I always say the first thing out of my mouth is, I'm so proud of you for asking for more money. Um, even if I can't get it, I'm always, I'm always really grateful that they made the effort to ask because we're under enormous constraints. Obviously, we're an academic institution. We don't have a lot of money, but I'm always really proud that they've made the ask. So I guess I want to know, are there any particular pitfalls? Are there mistakes that we should be on the lookout for? 
I think the biggest mistake that people could make is to not do it in person or by telephone. So there was a story going around on the internet a few years ago when I, after I started doing these workshops about a woman who lost a job, the biggest fear women have after she negotiated. And it was a faculty member, and she did it by email. And doing it in writing is just going to seem more demanding, whether it's a woman or a man. So I always say to do it in person if you can, or if not, by a phone call. So you could say in an email that you would like to negotiate, and can you set up a time to talk to the person? I just think it's going to go better when you do it in person. And then the other little thing I say is to be comfortable with silence. It's always hard to be comfortable with silence, but especially if we're negotiating. So for example, if your employer's offered you 70000 and you say, what about 75000 and the person's just sitting there, just wait. Don't say, oh, well, that's too much. I'll be fine with seventy-three. Just be comfortable with silence. I like to encourage us to remember that. You know, that's a therapeutic intervention as well. So, you know, that's a, that's a rare moment where lawyers and shrinks have something in common. <laughs> I like to end the podcast with this question. What advice would you give yourself when you were in law school? The advice I would give myself is advice I followed, which is to work hard and to also make lots of friends. Coming up to my 35th reunion, I'm really happy to have friends that I've had since law school, and that's really important. The other thing I would think I would tell myself as far as career advice is to remember that you can have it all, but you can't have it all at one time. So I'm quoting another lawyer I once heard say that, but I think as you worry and plan about your career, um, especially for women who are often trying to juggle family responsibilities too, to think about that, to think from the, the Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament to everything there's a season. And so that's something I would think about too, remembering throughout my career. Right. There's, I always think that it's, more, it's less about pages and more about chapters. So on a final note, this, especially as you approach your 35th reunion from law school, can you believe it's been that long? No, it was two years ago. Right? <laughs> it's kind of a little reminder that we are, are still, we are ourselves no matter how old we are. What do you think your younger self would think of you now? I think she'd be happy. I think she'd be happy. So, yeah. I think she'd yeah. be really proud of you. I hope. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this. It's incredibly helpful. Thank you. I, so for all of our listeners, try, negotiate, make more money, and then you can spend it on yourself or your family. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds really great. I know that I personally am, have been really inspired by this um, and motivated. So thank you very much. Thank you. For more information about the Women's Leadership Network at NYU School of Law and to access more episodes in this series, please visit us online at law.nyu.edu slash women's leadership.